Adult content intended for an adult audience only as this contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. The content of this story is purely fiction and not intended for anything but the enjoyment of the listener. If you do not agree with the themes listed in the tags, please do not listen to the story. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link in the comments to further support this author. This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out. The Wimp by Judah Beezer The bride took the jewel case back and forth. Rainbows of color flowed across the DVD as the ballroom's lights struck it. A brown uniformed messenger appeared out of the crowd, handed her the case then vanished just as quickly. The only explanation was a post-it note on the back from her best friend. Vic, sorry I can't make the wedding. I have a life-altering event of my own to tend to. Hope this video brings back some memories. Marcy, this wasn't like Marcy. They'd been best friends since college. There hadn't been any phone calls for weeks. No, your BFF on the note. Vicky hoped that Marcy's absence wasn't because she asked someone else to be maid of honor. She would have asked her, but Rory insisted that the honor go to his sister this time. Besides, Marcy had been maid of honor at Vicky's first wedding. It wasn't her fault that David turned out to be such a loser. Vicky pouted for a moment. The whole maid of honor thing did bother her a little. For a bride, she had precious little say in her own wedding. Her daddy and fiancé did most of the arrangements. For a girl used to getting her own way, it had been a real downer. She would have shrugged, but wasn't sure her girls would stay put in the ridiculous gown her father insisted she wear. It was backless, sleeveless, and strapless. If Vicky hadn't taped herself into it, it would have been topless. Daddy paid some famous designer a small fortune so he would have bragging rights to the best-dressed bride in their circle. Below the waist, there was enough fabric to pitch a circus tent. The damn wedding dress was so full, it felt like she was waiting in molasses. Unlike molasses, it was pure white. Vicky chuckled at that thought. Given what she and Rory got up to even before she was divorced, it should probably be scarlet. The gown was a pain in the ass, but it did tickle her down to her toes that every male eye in the room, including the horde of horny old goats her father invited, was ogling her impressive dowry. With a resigned sigh, Vicky hauled herself to her feet and scanned the ballroom for her brand new husband. Crap. She muttered under her breath. He was on the far side, surrounded by half a dozen of his old friends, including that slut Angelique Smithy Berenson. Vicky had known them since grade school but never felt part of the in-crowd. The girls had all been jealous of her looks and envious of her daddy's money. The boys just wanted to get in her pants. They were bitches and pricks in prep school, bitches and pricks in college and based on the smug smirks she was always getting they were still bitches and pricks. It's like they had some kind of inside joke they never let her in on. She and Angie had been competing for male attention in general, and Rory in particular, since sixth grade. Watching Angie fawn and flirt with him got her hackles up especially since her hubby seemed to be lapping it up. Vicky didn't feel guilty about cuckolding her wimp husband. He didn't fight for her so he deserved it. But she'd be damned before she let some bitch do it to her. If Rory wanted any pussy tonight he better start thinking about which side his bread was buttered on. Their fathers started a brokerage firm together right out of college. Like a couple of medieval lords, they expected to keep their alliance together by marrying their kids off to each other. Rory was on board and went to work for them after getting his finance degree. Vicky had upset the apple cart. First, she decided to major in art history. Then she fell in love with and married a damn social worker. It was partly adolescent rebellion, partly Rory chasing every skirt in town, and partly the fact that Daddy always gave her what she wanted and she wanted David. Thinking back, she wasn't really sure why. Vicky plowed into the crowd like an icebreaker in the frozen north. The crowd shattered as she went, and clumps of people floated away in her wake. Scanning the crowd, she was disappointed that there wasn't one friendly face. Most of the guests were business associates of her daddy or Rory's father. There were neighbors from their exclusive, gated community, most of whom only interacted with each other at weddings, funerals and charity balls.
She didn't see one friend from college or that she made the three years she was married to the wimp. Vicky sailed up to her new husband and wedged herself between him and Angelique. It was irritating to see him preen over two women vying for his attention. He should have been done with that when he said, I do. Rory could be an arrogant ass. Still, as her daddy said, unlike the wimp, at least he has prospects. Sweetheart, would you mind if I showed this video? What video? Vicky waved the DVD at him. Marcy Martin sent it. Who? Vicky felt put out. Rory never seemed to remember her friends or co-workers. Marcy, my college roomie. Oh, the eco-freak who always wore sweatshirts and baggy jeans? The one who hooked you up with the gimpy loser? Come on, Rory. She's my BFF and a really sweet girl. She couldn't be here and I think she wants to congratulate us. Okay, whatever, Vic. Just don't get your panties in a bunch if no one stops partying to watch. Vicky sighed as Rory turned away to continue schmoozing with his friends. Gathering up her dress, she began to work her way back through the crowd to the A-slash-V booth. You'd think that something costing north of $25,000 wouldn't feel like she was wearing a lead overcoat. Her daddy was bragging about how it cost more than Kim Kardashian's. It wouldn't have been so bad if he was bragging to her, but it was mostly his business buddies that he puffed up for. Deliberately obscured, she never would have known where it was if she hadn't been there during the setup. The only evidence of its existence was an unmarked door in a small alcove and a tinted, second-story window overlooking the ballroom. Inside, it was like mission control. The ballroom was only part of a larger space that could handle anything from a charity ball to a national convention. There was not only state-of-the-art audio and video equipment, but network servers, communication gear and who knows what else. After 911, the convention center had been designated a staging area and the booth had been hardened into a command and control center. Being inconspicuous was an asset. Vicky pressed a button beside the door. A few minutes later, Tim Simmons stuck his head out. A pair of headphones was draped around his neck with the cord dangling down to his knees. They'd known each other since high school, but never moved in the same circles. He was a nerd then, and hadn't changed much. The acne had cleared up, but he was still overweight with a shock of wheat-colored hair that always looked like he just stepped out of a wind tunnel. Hey, Vicky. What do you need? Hi, Tim. Could you put this up on the big screens? It's from Marcy Martin. Tim got a huge grin on his face that didn't register until later. You'll want me to do it now? Please, before the band finishes setting up. Will do. I've got to run an errand in a minute, but I'll get it going before I leave. He may have been a nerd, but he was the best A-slash-V technician in the city. You wouldn't know to look at him, but he was also a shrewd businessman. He made his living running one of the best media studios in the country. They did everything from recording Grammy-winning CDs to editing raw footage for the local TV stations. Maybe it was growing up around Vicky's crowd that kept him from being starstruck. Celebrities loved him because he treated them all like regular folks. That and he knew who his real friends were. Watching Vicky through the tinted observation window, Tim smirked as she struggled with her over-the-top gown. With a shrug and a shake of his shaggy head, he popped the DVD out of its case and placed it in the player tray. He checked to make sure the DVD deck was set to continuously repeat and hit the play button. His smile grew as he exited the control room and made sure the door was locked behind him. Turning to go, he could see the giant screens placed all around the ballroom flicker to life. Tim headed for a rear exit. It'd be fun to stay and watch the uproar, but he needed to be gone before the feces hit the impeller. He told the other A-slash-V people they wouldn't be needed. He would personally run the booth as a favor to an old friend. He didn't say which old friend. Without him, they had no way to get into the control room short of a shaped demolition charge. By the time they got someone from management, or the fire department to bring a key, the show would be over. As the exit door closed slowly behind him, he could just make out Marcy's silky voice begin to speak. Hi, I bring greetings to all those gathered for Victoria's wedding from all of her old friends. The camera panned from the tight close-up of Marcy's face to a crowd in the background. There must have been over a hundred people gathered in a park. Say hello everyone. Marcy's voice came from off-camera. The crowd roared out an enthusiastic, but unintelligible greeting with their hands waving in the air. It took a moment for those watching to realize that everyone in the video had their middle finger extended. There were some titters and a cat call or two, but for the most part Rory was right. Few were paying attention. Vicky was stunned. She would have expected a crude joke like that from Rory's friends, but not from hers. 
Glancing over at his clack, she noticed most were frowning. With a wry smile, she realized they could dish it out but couldn't take it. We just couldn't let this very special occasion go by without special wishes to the happy couple, their families and friends. First up is Bill Nichols, an old college chum. The camera cut away to a man in a tux standing in what appeared to be a rather upscale restaurant. Hey, Vicky. You might not remember me even though we were in some college classes together. I used to wait on you and David back when you came into Sorrento's on a date. Since I was working two jobs to get through school, I didn't get to hang out much. Anyway, you didn't seem to recognize me the couple of times Rory brought you into Le Figuro while you were cheating on Dave. I'm the manager and co-owner. Vicky flinched at the cheap shot. Excerpt for a snicker from across the room, no one else seemed to have noticed. She spotted Angie eyeing her while pretending to cover a smirk with one hand. Vicky tried to give her the evil eye, but all it accomplished was to send Angie into a huddle with the other bitches. Your fathers know me rather well as they dine here often and bring many of their business associates. They expect a lot of personal service and I do my best to oblige. Her barely remembered acquaintance continued. Unfortunately, it was brought to my attention recently that someone filmed them here along with your then fiancé. I am devastated that such a scurrilous activity should have taken place in my establishment. As an old friend, I thought you should see this before it gets out. You might want to view it in private. Before Vicky could process what was just said, the grinning maitre d' faded out and was replaced by the same room, but obviously on a busy day. Someone must have been using a smartphone or tablet to record Rory, his father, and her daddy sitting down to dinner. They appeared to be celebrating as her father slapped Rory on the back. So my boy, I understand you've made some real progress on our little project. Given the conditions, the audio was remarkably clear as if it had been processed by an expert. Across the room, a commotion broke out in Rory's posse and another at the head table where the parents were sitting. The three men shown on the big screen were now on their feet looking frantically around the ballroom. Her daddy waved angrily at one of the facility staff. After a brief conference, the fellow headed full steam for the A-slash-V booth. The reason for the strange behavior immediately became clear. Yes, sir. Campaign Dump the Wimp has finally paid off. With a little help from my friends, I've convinced your little princess that she really did marry a loser. She rags about him now as much as you, me and our friends put together. As far as I can tell, he doesn't know what hit him just that his perfect little world is crumbling. Rory had a shit-eating grin while he postured in front of the two older men. Well done, son. I hope it's not too early to begin calling you that. I understand you sealed the deal. Oh yeah? It didn't seem possible that he could look any smugger but he did. All the heart-to-heart talk bullshit, the romantic dinners, the expensive gifts and the fancy charity dances the wimp couldn't afford to attend even if he got an invitation paid off. Getting the gimpy wimp out of the way by dangling that juicy contract in front of his boss was sheer genius. Vic was so pissed off he had to go out of town when he promised to go to the reunion with her that it only took a few drinks and some sweet talk to get her to spread em. Once I got into her pants, she lost all respect for the creep. The more I bang her, the wilder she gets. The wilder she gets, the more her contempt grows. She's got the makings of a real slut. By the time I'm done with her, she'll do whatever, whenever with him ever I say. Vicky was on the verge of fainting. It was bad enough to publicly discover she was seduced away from her husband by a narcissistic asshole. To learn that her beloved daddy not only wasn't defending her but conspired with the bastard to do it was devastating. I knew you had it in you. Victoria's like her mother, she needs a strong hand to keep her in line. She's no dumb either. You need to stay on your toes if you plan to keep fucking that smithy Berenson whore. Not that I'd hold it against you if you did. She gives a world-class blowjob. Rory's father was nodding with his own smug grin. Son, if you want a steady stream of pussy, do what Rod and I do. Get something to hold over her head like a video of her in a gang bang. Tell her you'll post it on the internet if she doesn't do what you say. Right, partner? There was a loud smack as the two men in the video high-fived each other. It was echoed in the ballroom by a louder smack as Vicky's mother delivered an epic slap to her husband followed by a knee to the groin. Her father-in-law was a little quicker on the uptake and was now being chased around the room by his enraged wife waving a steak knife. Meanwhile, a screaming banshee had been let loose next to Rory. There was some satisfaction in seeing Angie atop a cowering Rory clawing and kicking like a berserker. The guests were getting whiplash trying to take it all in. The video faded back to Marcy's beaming face. We won't bother you with the rest of the recording. 
It was just some boring business talk. Since we weren't sure about the legality of the recording, we turned it over to the state's attorney. Last I heard, it was being passed around among a bunch of federal agencies. Suddenly, a volley of cursing erupted not only from the three beleaguered men, but a number of their business associates scattered around the room. A crowd was growing around the door to the control room with a lot of shouting and arm-waving. Someone came up with a fire axe and began beating on the door to no effect. By the way, Vic, Marcy's avatar continued to speak. I have a bone to pick with you. I love you like a sister, but sometimes you can be such a dumb bitch. Marcy's lips were pinched together as she shook her head sadly. David told me about how that gang of juvenile delinquents you hang with kept trying to pick fights and question his manhood, how they made fun of his limp and his occupation. I can't believe the contempt you showed him for walking away. Why didn't you defend your husband or at least admire his self-control? It should have been obvious that Rory was trying to bait him into a fight and then have his friends tell the cops that Dave started it. Instead, you bought the lie that he was a wimp and a coward. Marcy stared out of the screen for a moment. It felt like she was looking straight into Vicky's soul. When all those strange misfortunes began to occur, did you back your husband? Night after night, I listened to all the whining you did. You'd complain and tell me what a loser Dave was. Then, when I tried to defend him, you dismissed me. I guess that's when you turned to Rory for support. Marcy made air quotes. Dave never told you how he got that limp, did he? He hated the notoriety and made those of us who knew him at the time promise never to mention it. Given the way you and that bunch of real losers trashed him, we all decided to ignore Dave's wishes for once. Here's your wimpy, loser ex-husband in action. A smirking Marcy faded out to be replaced by what most likely was security camera footage of the inside of a mall. A time stamp in the corner showed a date nearly six years earlier. Suddenly the ballroom was filled with the sounds of gunfire. Everyone froze and stared at the scene unfolding on the big screens. Viewers, the Eyewitness News team has obtained video of the Greenfields Mall shooting that occurred last weekend. Two heavily armed men wearing body armor rampaged through the common area and some of the stores killing six and wounding 42. The video paused on two men dressed in black from head to toe and carrying AR-15 rifles. The voiceover from a well-known news anchor continued. Later identified as Bobby Joe Wilkes and Harold Crumball, they are members of a Christian militia group that purports to be on a mission to save America from gays and Muslims. Ironically, all of the fatalities among the mall shooting victims were straight Christians. The action resumed as they proceeded down either side of the commons area firing at everyone in sight. In the midst of this horrific event, a hero emerged. Eyewitness News obtained exclusive footage of the encounter that ended the shooting spree. Sixteen-year-old Jamal Wilson shot this with his iPad. The ballroom was dead silent as the video cut away to a view of the first-floor atrium shot by someone on the upper level. A woman and child crouched behind a planter as the two men approached from either side. Are you crazy? A stage whisper came from off-camera. The camera jittered as Wilson turned to catch a figure approaching in a crouch. Get the hell out of here before they see you. Vicky gasped as the figure's face became clear. It was David. There were more gunshots. David edged to the railing and peeked over. Shit. He had seen the woman and child, seconds away from being discovered. He waved Wilson back. Stay down. Then he stood up. Hey, you crazy bastards, what the hell's the matter with you? David ducked behind a pillar as a hail of bullets spattered around the surrounding area. There was a ping as one ricocheted off of the railing. Bits and pieces of concrete sprayed from where slugs hit the walls. There was a cut to a security camera showing one shooter waving the other toward escalators they passed, then he continued shooting at the upper level. When the shooter stopped to reload, the scene cut back to the tablet footage. Come on. The video waved wildly as David grabbed the youth and dragged him to a doorway marked employees only. They entered a corridor and sprinted about halfway down to a stairwell. The tablet footage was jouncing all over the place as Wilson followed David down to the first level, exiting into a corridor identical to the one above. David turned back toward the common area and apparently, Wilson tried to follow. David faced him, shook his head and pointed to an exit sign at the other end of the corridor. You've got to get out of here and call 911. If you get through, tell them what's going on now. Okay? David must have gotten a nod because he sprinted back down the corridor and slipped through the door. A security camera showed him running low and squatting behind a kiosk as he entered the atrium area. The shooter was still taking random shots at the upper level. The instant he stopped to reload, David sprang from cover. Running up behind the thug, 
David brought his left hand around the man's neck, grabbing his collar beside his right ear. David's right arm slipped under the man's right arm, pushing it up until he could bring his forearm behind the man's head and press his wrist into the left side of his neck. Yanking him back on his heels put the man's neck in a vice-like grip. The thug thrashed like a fish out of water, and for much the same reason. No blood, and therefore no oxygen, was getting to his brain. When David attacked, the shooter had dropped his rifle. With his arm trapped, he couldn't reach the pistol strapped to his thigh. It took six or seven seconds but the man finally went limp. David dropped him and dashed to where the woman and child were hiding. She was crouched protectively over the little girl and flinched when he touched her shoulder. They had a brief conversation with David pointing to the service corridor from which he had exited. She nodded, grabbed up the child and sprinted off with David following closely shielding the pair. By this time, the other shooter had reached the second floor and was looking over the railing at the fleeing trio. David, glanced back as he ran, spotted the shooter raising his rifle and reverse course. As David ran back across the atrium, he flipped the bird and appeared to be yelling at the thug who turned to fire at him. Zigzagging as best he could, David almost made it to safety when a bullet struck his hip sending him sprawling on the floor. Vicky watched horrified. Even though she knew he survived, part of her expected the fatal shot to occur at any second. The sniper was taking aim when his attention was drawn to two groups of black-clad men just coming into the security camera's view. One group was approaching on the ground floor and another on the second. There was shouting back and forth. When the gunman raised his rifle at the approaching men, he was blasted back by a hail of gunfire. On the lower level, the second team was surrounding the thug David took down just as he started to come to. The video faded back to the news anchor. We are pleased to report that the young man who disrupted the rampage is in serious but stable condition and is expected to make a full recovery. He requested anonymity and has refused interviews but we have learned he is a graduate student in social work at Aurora University and a second degree black belt in judo. Joining us now is our news director, Michael Maxey, who studied the art while in the Air Force, Mike. Thanks, Tom. The young man used a stranglehold called kataha jime or single wing choke. It was a good choice for this situation. A kicking, punching or grappling attack would have been much riskier and less certain of success given his opponent was heavily armed, wearing body armor and possibly high or in a berserker rage. As you could see, it was well executed, putting the gunman out within six seconds while keeping control of his upper body. Would you like for me to demonstrate? The news anchor laughed nervously. His boss looked just a tad too eager. I think I'll pass, Mike. In other news, the news video faded and Marcy reappeared. What do you think of your wimp husband now? Oops, I mean ex-husband. Too bad you never pressed David about how he got hurt. It might have made it a little harder to write him off as a loser. Oh, and Rory, since you convinced my idiot BFF that David was a coward because you couldn't provoke him into a fight, you should watch this. Fade to another clip, this one in a large gymnasium. There were three large mat areas. Only the one in the middle was in use. A referee in a dark sports coat and slacks stood in the middle. At opposite corners sat two more officials. This was from David's junior year at San Jose State University when he competed in the National Collegiate Judo Championships. It was his next-to-last match in the over 100 kilograms division. David and another man approached the mat area from opposite sides. They both wore heavy, canvas-like jackets and matching loose-fitting pants. David's was blue. His opponent's was white. He looked to be a good four inches taller and thirty or forty pounds heavier than David. They both bowed as they stepped onto the mats and approached the center, stopping at tape marks about twelve feet apart. There was no sound, but the referee appeared to give a command. Both men bowed to each other and stepped across their tape marks. At another command, they began to circle each other grabbing for their opponent's jacket lapels or sleeves. The bigger man was hopping around as you sometimes see fighters do. He appeared very confident while David avoided the theatrics. Suddenly, his opponent darted in, got a grip and turned into David, trying to throw him over his hip. The bigger man was too slow and hadn't broken David's balance. David crouched slightly and thrust his hips forward stopping his opponent. As his opponent turned to face him, David counterattacked. Spinning around so they were front to back, David brought his right leg up between the other man's legs, catching the inside of his left thigh. David's head was down. He was up on his left toes and his whole torso was twisting to his left. The other man appeared to levitate off the floor and fly head over heels. David's body followed, driving his opponent hard into the mat. 
They landed with such force that many watching flinched including Vicky. The referee stepped forward, stood at attention and threw his right arm up in the air signaling the end of the match. Both men stood up, straightened their uniforms then returned to their starting positions. The referee stood between them, raised the arm on David's side and tilted it toward him indicating the winner. Both contenders stepped behind the tape marks, bowed to each other then came together in a back-slapping hug. The clip faded back to Marcy once again. Rory's whole clique was staring slack-jawed at the action. Even Angie had ceased her onslaught. They'd spent so much time and effort slandering David that they'd come to believe their own propaganda. Until them all shooting. Marcy's sultry voice continued. David was considering trying out for the Olympics. The bullet in his hip ended his competitive judo career. Just so you know, even with a bum hip, David can still take out Rory or any of those pretentious gym rats he hangs with. See, someone who really is capable doesn't feel the need to prove it all the time. Well, now that we've put all that wimp crap to rest, we just have two more bits of business before we let all you cheaters, liars and backstabbers get back to doing what you do best. Marcy's face took on a disgusted grimace. Thick, when you jumped on Rory's bandwagon, you complained to me that David wouldn't fight for you. You wouldn't listen to me when I pleaded with you to talk to him, to give David a chance. Instead, you chose to jump on something of Rory's besides his bandwagon. Well, now that we have your attention, maybe you will listen. The video faded and David's face appeared. Even after all the water over the dam, Vicky's heart skipped a beat. Hi Vic, hi Rory. Congratulations on the marriage. I hope you make each other happy. I really do. I'm sorry I couldn't do that for you, Pookie. A chill of regret swept through Vicky at hearing his pet name for her. I am confused about a couple of things. When we said I do to each other I assumed I no longer had to compete with Rory for your love and loyalty. I tried to be the best husband, friend and lover I could be. In that sense, I fought for us, for our marriage every single day. What did you do? You said the same vows I did? What happened to standing by your partner for richer, for poorer? What about forsaking all others? When all those strange misfortunes befell us I never quit. I never gave up. I kept going because of you, right up until I found out what you had been up to with Rory. Your actions convinced me that you didn't love me and that I could never make you happy so I did the only other thing that would. I let you go. Pookie, it wasn't me that didn't fight for you, it was you who gave up on us. As someone who once loved you with all his heart, I wish you the best. Vicky's stomach was now in knots. Her face had lost all color. She was a hair's breadth from passing out when Marcy's face came on one last time. Well, one last thing before I sign off. Remember Gorge Garcia? He was the kid whose parents legally emigrated from Spain. The one your friends all picked on and called a wetback. The one you all kept telling to go back to Mexico no matter how many times he told you he was from Spain. He's an attorney now working for the federal prosecutor's office in Chicago. He'd like a word with the groom, his father, and the father of the bride. The camera panned to the crowd. A very natally dressed young man stepped forward and smiled. Everyone, please stay where you are. There are federal agents and local police at every exit. No one may leave until we execute various warrants. Rory Buchanan, Bradley Buchanan and Macaulay Gardner you are under arrest for fraud, conspiracy to commit fraud and numerous violations of the RICO Act. You have the right to remain silent. The ballroom erupted in chaos. People began shouting. Some rushed the exits, only to discover the law really did have them bottled up. Vic saw her mother collapse in tears. Rory's mom resumed chasing her husband until tasered and disarmed by two police officers. The three men in question were now in handcuffs and being read their rights for real. Marcy was speaking again, and Vicky had to strain to hear her over the bedlam all about her. Vic, your true friends are the ones that stick by you through adversity. They stand by you when you're being slandered even when they get tarred with the same brush. True friends look beyond the surface and accept you as you are. They tolerate your flaws and trust you to return the favor. Most importantly, true friends care about your well-being at least as much as they care about their own. Who are your true friends, Vic? The video panned across the crowd. Their hands were all raised, but this time the pinky, pointer and thumb were extended with the middle two touching the palm. It took a moment for her to remember. Marcy's parents were deaf. They were all making the sign language shorthand for. I love you. Marcy's voice came from off camera. Vic, I know you're going to need a real friend after this is all over. Just so you know, I don't abandon my BFF even if her head is firmly planted in her ass. 
When you finally see sunshine, call me but not for the next two weeks. The camera panned back to show all of Marcy for the first time. She was dressed in a simple but elegant wedding gown. You know that life-altering event I mentioned on my note? The camera panned back even further to show a limousine parked off to the side of the crowd. A just-married sign was prominently displayed on the trunk. Vicky's heart began to skip beats. She couldn't breathe. Standing by the limo, dressed in a tuxedo, and holding the door open for his new bride was a smiling David. The End This podcast is part of the Erotica Podcast Network. Visit the other channels for more stories with a different focus. Support us on Patreon to make requests for subjects you would love to hear. Thank you to those who have already reached out.